But there's this guy um, late for an appointment, and he gets to the parking lot. And there are no parking places. And um, he's not really a spiritual man, but he prays and he says, oh God, if you just have a, a great parking place open up for me right now, I'll, I, I promise I'll serve you. And almost miraculously, a car just backs out and is gone, best spot in the lot. He pulls in the car and he says, oh God, never mind, I found a spot myself. <laughs> so it's pretty easy for us to look at life that way, isn't it? Yeah, here's, here's a, a good little uh, Sunday school. I love Sunday school jokes because they're usually about kids. But uh, this teacher was teaching um, her class about salvation and that you get into heaven based upon faith in Christ, not on, on good works or anything like that. And so she's quizzing them after a few weeks of teaching them on this. And she says, all right, uh, students, so if I sold everything I have and I gave it to people who had needs, would that get me into heaven? And they say, no. And she says, all right, if I went to church every day and I cleaned the building every day uh, and I served God all the time, would that, would that be enough to get me into heaven? And they say, no. So she goes through two or three other things like that. And then finally she says, well, what do I have to do to get into heaven? A little boy piped up and said, you have to be dead. Well, you just, you never know what's in a kid's mind, do you? Well, today I want to talk with, with you about the tongue, uh, about our speech, how we, how we use words, how we communicate with other people. And uh, th- this is a very important issue in the Bible, and the Bible says a lot about it. But um, in, in today's culture, this means... Email, what you say in email, what you communicate through email, means texting, Facebook, tweeting, and the whole, it, it, every, every, every part of social media comes under this, because we're talking about how do I communicate with other people, and I don't know about you, but I've gone through different seasons in my life, uh, shortly before I met Lori, my, uh, my, the guy that I was living with, who was my best friend, my roommate, and I did a study on the tongue because we both realized we were talking too much and that we were being too cynical and critical. And so we had this little saying that we would uh, quote to each other, uh, forgive me for saying that, it just slipped out of the abundance of my heart, because there's a verse in the Bible that talks about that. But if you, if you can relate to this at all, the need to communicate effectively and in a way that really honors God, then I, I have some really good things to share with you today. The Bible does say a lot about the tongue. Proverbs 18.21 says this. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Okay, death and life are in the power of the tongue. So it's like you are walking around every day with the ability to give life to people. And on the flip side of that, think of it like this. You walk around every day with a loaded pistol in your hand and your finger on the trigger. Because... Our words can bring death to, to, to other people, death to their hearts, death to their dreams, and, and, and really, literally, even physical death. Have you ever noticed that there will be times when a public figure will be accused of some, something, whether, they've, whether they're guilty or not, and, and their health just goes downhill from that point on? You see, words have real power, and that's why Proverbs also talks about uh, restraining the tongue. 
Proverbs 10, 19, it says, where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. So think about that. The more we talk, we're, we're going to bump in. We're going to bump into uh, th- this whole realm of trans- we're going to transgress. We're going to go into saying things that God really doesn't want us to say, words of death rather than words of life. And so the New Testament also talks about the tongue, and and it says that we're to speak truth, but we're to speak truth with love. So it's not not enough just to say, yeah, I'm I'm the kind of person I just tell people what I think. No, that's not biblical. Truth with love. And the Bible in the New Testament also says that our words are to be seasoned with grace. And so the words we speak should have the taste of grace about them, that we're giving mercy and kindness and gentleness to others in the things that we say. And one of the negative commands in the New Testament is this, never engage in abusive speech. So no matter, how, no matter how frustrated you might be, it does not justify abusive, attacking type of speech. Now, you, you look at that and you think, well, okay, it sure looks like God is saying to us, control your tongue. However you have to do it, control your tongue. And, and there's, there's truth in that. Uh, it, if, if you really take that approach, in fact, you can find lots of sermons, you can find lots of books on controlling the tongue. Some of them will tell you, take a deep breath, calm down. Or in some cases, take two or three deep breaths and calm down. Uh, so, some people will tell you, count to 10. Others will tell you to um, visualize the conversation ahead of time and visualize it all going really, really well and then, then walk into that. And then others will say this, and this is really my favorite. Think of the consequences of what you're gonna say. Now, I, th- I think about that almost from a selfish perspective because there have been times I've been in a setting where I wanted to say something, and then I think, wait a second, if I say that, I'm not only going to have to come back and apologize to that person, but to everybody else in the room, and I don't like to do that. So think about the consequences, the consequences of your own life as well as in the lives of others, and, and all these things are helpful, aren't they? They can be helpful. Um, it, it's always better not to say a hurtful thing than it is to say a hurtful thing, no matter how you hold it back. But I wanna say this, these types of techniques are not what God's really going after in our lives. This is not how he wants his people to speak words that bring life rather than death. It's not just a matter of figuring out a way to restrain the tongue, although, Techniques like this can be kind of like a safety net. When it comes down to it, uh, if all else fails, keep your mouth shut. That's what it comes down to. But actually, God has something more for us than that. He does, it, God's not just in the business of trying to teach us how to restrain our ungodly impulses. You know, that's called sin management. And I'm afraid a lot of Christians have the viewpoint of godly living is just really sin management. You know, I accept Jesus into my heart so I can go to heaven when I die. And between now and then, it's just a matter of me bringing enough uh, controls into my life that I can manage all the ungodly impulses that I might, might have. But God has more for us than that. 
The Bible, Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. It doesn't say the truth will hem you in so you don't sin. It says the truth will set you free. Now, part of the problem with that is that on, on the road to freedom, oftentimes the truth hurts. And oftentimes the truth can be discouraging. And we have to admit some things before we actually break through into the freedom that God has for us. And a passage in James really leads us that direction, James 3, 6 through 8. I was reading this a couple of months ago, and and God gave me an insight into it that I want to share with you. But James 3, 6 through 8 says this. Look, the tongue is a fire. Now, you might think, yeah, I'm on fi- I want to be on fire for God, so the tongue's a fire, but it's not that kind of fire here, okay? If you read on, the tongue is a fire. It's a world of evil among the parts of the body, and it corrupts the whole body. In other words, the things that I say have an impact upon my whole being, not only my physical being, but my, my whole identity and my being. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire, You know, the words you speak can cause you to lose your career. The wrong words can can direct your life totally a different direction than than it could have gone just because you spoke the wrong words at that one given moment. set, Set your life on fire, and it says, is itself set on fire by hell? And now he goes into this. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. All right, that phrase, no human being can tame the tongue. That could lead to hopelessness, couldn't it? I mean, all the exhortations on uh, what the tongue can do and what it should do, and then we read this, uh, but hey, by the way, none of you can do it. You can't tame the tongue. Now, I read that, and when I read it, I, I probably read it 100 times, maybe 200 times, maybe more than that, but this time I read it, and I thought, well, God, then what's, what the heck? I mean, you tell us how, how to speak and how we should speak, and then you tell us that we can't control our tongues, and here's what the Lord gave to me. He said this, no one can control the tongue because the tongue's not the issue, and the tongue is hardwired to the heart. Okay, the tongue is hardwired to the heart. What that means is whatever's in my heart actually comes out through my tongue. That's the way God designed us. He designed us that way so that we can't hide. You know, we, are, we are created with an inner person. There's, a, there's an inner world that we, we each live in that is somewhat different from the world that we present out here. And so this, in this inner world, we have thoughts. That's the Bible calls that the mind. But you also have a heart. And the heart is like the deeper part of the mind. It's the deeper part of your inner being. And I know you can look at it other ways and call it the spirit and the soul and things like that. But in this context, he's talking about the mind and the heart. And the mind would be that part of our inner person that is conscious thought. It's stuff that I think up. It's the mind that tries to control the words that we speak. So the mind would be me figuring a situation out. The mind would be me sitting in a conversation or a room thinking, 
I have a great story. I want to tell it next. I hope, I hope there's a pause so I can jump in and tell my story next. That's all the mind. Now, the heart is more the motives, the inclination, the desires. And, and so much of the heart is unconscious. Not entirely. I mean, there's overlap between the mind and the heart. And there are aspects of, of the deep inner person that are conscious and some aspects that are unconscious. But what Jesus said about this all in Luke 6.45 really opens it up to us. Here's what we read here. Jesus said, the good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what is in your heart will eventually come out. And what Jesus said, well, what, in, in Proverbs, what Proverbs said was, as a person thinks in his heart, so is he or she. And so it's not what's out here that I say, it's really what's in here. And so the way God designed the tongue being hardwired to the heart it is incredibly difficult to hide what's in the heart. Unless you're like a sociopath and, and you have no relational ability to other human beings, then you can maybe hide what's in there. But the way God created normal human beings is we ultimately are gonna come under some point of stress or pressure or, or maybe we're depressed and we just don't care and what's in the heart comes out. And so Jesus says here that it all has to do with what's in the heart. And you see, the heart, that deeper part of who we are, is where we hold desires and passions, as well as biases that we're not walking around thinking about, but that we have, and judgments that we've made that we're not necessarily conscious of, but we have already judged a person who looks this way most certainly has this type of personality or has, has th this, this, this is true about their life based upon how they look or even how they act. Judgments, it, it, it's in the deepest part of the heart where pride exists and as well as anxieties and heart wounds and many of them are hidden from us. We don't, we don't even see them but they come out through the tongue. Now. The real solution to the problem is not self-control. And as I said before, better to control yourself and not say that poisonous, hurtful thing than to say it, but that's a safety net. That's just, when, when all else fails, control your tongue. But what Jesus wants us to do is to have new hearts so that there's, so there's, something, there's something good that's gonna bubble up out. And when the heart is right, and the mind is lined up with the heart, then we speak words of life. And so what we need to focus on is the heart. What do I do to have a pure heart? What do I do to have a right heart? Do you remember Jesus at one point and met this young guy named Nathaniel? And Jesus looked at him and he instantly said, this is a man in whom is no guile. I really like that, guile. That, that's kind of like a nasty sounding word. It sounds like something that comes in a sewer system, doesn't it? And he says, in this guy, there's none of that gunk. He has a good heart. And so you can trust what you see is what you get. Because what you hear coming out of him is coming out of the reality 
of a good heart. So how do we get a good heart? That's the question then. And, and how do we walk in a good heart like Nathaniel did? So there, there are some thoughts I have on that for you. But uh, to complete this thought from James, in James 3, after he says no one can control the heart, he goes on in uh, James 3, 11 and 12, and he says this. And, and this really supports this whole idea that when he says you can't control the tongue, that he's really talking about the fact that the tongue is hardwired to the heart. He says, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can't do that, can it? If, if it's salt water, it's salt water. You're not gonna get salt water one minute and fresh water another minute. It's salt water. He says, can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. He's saying it's the source. The, the fig tree has fig tree DNA. That's why it produces figs. It can't do anything other than that. And, and so it's the DNA of the heart that is the issue. Now, I like this illustration of the salt water and the fresh water because it really illustrates life and death. Fresh water gives us life, doesn't it? Salt water kills us. If you drink salt water, you die. And, and so he, th this idea of fresh and salt water uh, really led me to think of an Old Testament illustration. There was a prophet in the Old Testament that um, came across this village that had a well that had bad water in it. The water was bitter, they said. But not only was it the well, the water table itself was spoiled, and we know that because they said, no crops will grow in our fields all around this village because the water is bad. So there was something in the water, in the very ground, in, in, the, in the ground table of the water that was coming up in this individual well, but that also showed up out in the fields and kept the crops from growing. You know what he, Elisha did? He took a handful of salt, threw it into the well, and it fixed everything. It purified not just that well, but the whole, ground, the, the whole ground table of water. And look, one handful of salt couldn't do that. The salt is representative in that case of purity. If you put it in, it might you know, kill the germs that are there, but a handful couldn't do that. It was a miracle. And, and the, the salt was just a prophetic sign of what God wanted to do. And so when you think of your own heart, if you're thinking, well, there are things in my heart that have got to change. Jesus can do that. That's the point. He can do that. You can't. He can. And, and so we need to come to grips with how that happens and how it will happen. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. But in order for that to happen, you have to admit the need. If there's bad water in your well, but you tell yourself, oh, no, this is good water, you, you can't deal with the problem. And so I want to list a few thoughts here that would indicate that, uh, that maybe there's some nuancing in the heart that needs to take place. I want to say this, if you're critical of your wife and your kids, and, and you go home and bad stuff comes out of your mouth, you don't have a tongue issue, you have a heart issue. If you complain all the time, that's a heart problem, that's a heart issue. If you always see the negative around you, that's a heart issue. A lot of times that's masked as a wisdom issue. Well, I'm so wise, I can see all the wrong things other people are doing. No, that's a heart issue because it's a complaining, critical spirit. 
if you lash out in defensiveness, heart problems, if you lie to protect yourself or to advance yourself in, in some way, heart problem, if, if, if you have a bitter tongue, heart problem, if you're a know-it-all, heart problem, if you think you're smarter than everyone else around, guess what? Heart problem. And if you just thought to yourself, what if I really am smarter than everyone else around? <laughs> Guess what? How many of us thought that? I don't raise your hands, but I know some people here thought that. What is that? Let's say it together. It is a heart problem. We've got to get the heart right. You get the heart right, the tongue follows. The, the tongue's just like, a, it's just like my hand. My hand doesn't do things independent of my mind and my heart directing it and instructing it. And so, what do you do? How, how do we get a good heart? Well, first of all, you need a new heart. The heart you were born with is defective. That's why little kids learn early to lie. That they, they learn early to cry when they're not really hurt, they just want something they're not getting. I mean, we learn early things like that because we're born with defective hearts. And so the first thing we need is you've, we've got to have a good heart, a new heart. And that only comes uh, from the miracle of God's work in our lives. Ezekiel eleven nineteen says this. It says, I'll give, you, I'll give them singleness of heart. In other words, I'll, 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 I'll not make it so they kind of want to love me and they kind of want to love the world. He says, I'm going to unify their heart and I'm going to put a new spirit within them. I'll take away their stony, stubborn heart and give them a tender, responsive heart. So when this happens at the moment that a person opens their heart to Jesus Christ, at the very moment that I say, God, my heart's defective, I know that, my heart has led me to do all sorts of things that, uh, that I shouldn't have done, things that you would, the Bible calls sin. And really, the word sin means to color outside the lines. In a real simple, just very simply, it means you're coloring outside the lines. In other words, God created you for this, and you're doing this instead. And, and so when I admit that to God, and, and I say, Jesus, I need you to come into me, and because Jesus died for our sin. He died for our defective heart. When he hung on the cross, he took all of that on himself, paid for it totally, so that you and I could be free, and we could receive new heart. We can receive his heart. And the Bible tells us that once you accept Jesus into your life, you actually have the mind of Christ. And that's a case where mind and heart overlap significantly in meaning. And so anyone who's never received Jesus, their heart, the heart's defective. The deepest part is defective. And, and that's got to be changed, okay? We got to get that changed. Now, I, I don't know if, if you're here today and you, you're saying, well, what do you mean receive Jesus? I've never done that. I've never invited Christ into my life personally. I've gone to church for a long time. I've read the Bible. But I've never really said, Jesus, my heart's defective. I need a new heart. I need you to come into me and give me a new heart. If you've never done that, you can do it right now. And we're going to take a moment where we're just going to take a moment of quiet right now. I'll lead you in a prayer that uh, you, can, you pray to God right now. Just You can pray it out loud. Or you can just pray it in your mind. He can hear your thoughts or you can whisper it. But if you've never invited Jesus into your heart, today's the day. How's that sound? This is the moment. All right, so let's close our eyes. Everyone close your eyes.
And I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we're thankful that you're here. We welcome you to reveal your presence. We ask you right now, for anyone in this room that hasn't yet received Jesus, invited Jesus into their heart, open their eyes to see that they can do that right now. And just just pray this. Lord Jesus, say that to him. Lord Jesus, I need you. I need to be forgiven. I need a new heart. Come into my life right now and give me a new heart. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right, if you just prayed with me right there, something supernatural happened just as surely as it was supernatural when Elisha threw that handful of salt into the well and a miracle occurred and that water was all changed and purified. Just as much of a miracle just took place and you just received a new heart. And we want to know about that. We want to, we want to be able to connect with you and, and help you connect with people that will help you to grow in this new relationship with Jesus. Because what we need to do uh, when you have a new heart, then what you need to do is to bring your mind, your conscious mind, which the new heart changes and gives us new inclinations, new desires. And so the new heart, the deepest part, now says, I want God. I want to know God. I want to walk with God. I want to be a godly person. But the mind, the conscious part, and, and I told you the, the mind and the heart do overlap. It's not, it's not two distinct things. But with the conscious part of the mind, we're still stuck thinking old thoughts. We're still stuck thinking like, like we did when we had an old heart, with, with our old heart. And so what we have to do, the second thing we have to do, the first was you need a new heart. Second was cooperate with God in renewing your mind. So that the, the mind, the conscious mind, lines up with the desires of the heart. And when those two come into sync, then there's power released in our lives. And, and we begin to understand who we really are in Christ and the identity that we have. And we're not losers, we're not failures. We, we have strength and power and free access to the living God and relationship with him. And the power of the Holy Spirit flows through us. And so to bring the mind into alignment, uh, Ephesians 4, 22 and 23 says this. It says, throw off your old thoughts and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. So he's speaking to people here who have a new heart because they received Jesus. And he's saying, now in your conscious thought mind, throw off those old thought patterns. Recognize that so many of the thought patterns that you have accepted are based upon a wrong heart. And that's why so many Christians are depressed. That's why Christians live in defeat and, de- and just feeling so, so defeated because the heart and the mind are not in alignment. And what I desire in my heart my mind disagrees with that and that creates all this inner conflict and turmoil and robs me of my peace. And so cooperate with that because he says, once you get a new heart, you have the ability to throw off those old thoughts. 
you have the ability to say no to those old thoughts. I had something like this happen yesterday. We went to a pastor's meeting in Michigan, and um, in Indiana, I'm sorry. <clears throat> and, um, and I usually enjoy those things, but I've always, for f- almost 40 years of ministry, I've always come away from meetings at pastors just feeling kind of discouraged. Just thinking, ah, yeah, I'm not really sure I fit there. I'm not sure about this or that. And I don't know why, I just have always come away from those like, like that. And yesterday as we were driving home, I started to feel that. And then this thought came into my mind, and I've always thought, oh, that's just the way I am. But this thought came into my mind, no, it's not. That's spiritual attack, that's spiritual warfare. And I have believed a lie when I have said that's the way I am. Does that make sense? And so when, when I recognized that, I mean, why didn't I, why didn't I recognize this 30 years ago? I don't know at least five or 10 years ago. But when I recognized that, then I said, oh, right, that's right. Okay, in Jesus' name, Satan, just get no more thoughts shooting into my mind. I reject this, this is a lie. And I gotta tell you, that lifted. That sense just lifted off of me right there. And that was a case where my mind, I had been believing some things pretty deep in my mind that I agreed with when it came into my mind, even though it was the enemy putting it there. I agreed, yeah, that's the way I am. I guess I'm an outlier. I believed that, but when I recognized that was a lie and I rejected it, then there was freedom. And so I'm gonna walk in that freedom. But that's how this works. That's how you cooperate. You recognize you have authority to think the right thoughts. Bible says that you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And speaking of DNA, fig tree DNA produces figs. The Bible says you have the divine nature within you when you get that new heart from Jesus. It's a Jesus heart. It's divine DNA. And you you recognize that and you say, whoa, wait a second. This, This thought, this depression, this anger, this resentment, this bitterness, this jealousy, this, I'm believing a lie if I give in to any one of those and I reject that lie right now, and I have the authority to reject it because I am a new creation in Christ, because I have every spiritual blessing. That means all the power of Jesus. So I can say no to it. And so you put off that old thought and you put on the new thought of who you are in Christ. You align your conscious mind with the new heart that you've received. Now, last thing is this, guard your heart. Okay, by that, it's talking about this part of the heart that's conscious, the part of the heart that overlaps with the mind, guard that. And the Bible says, above all else, guard your heart, or watch over your heart with all diligence, Proverbs, for from it flow the springs of life. Life comes from your heart, or death, but if you're a believer in Jesus, then there's life in your heart. You gotta watch, you gotta guard that heart and guard the thoughts that you believe and the things that you accept and the things that you embrace because there are things that will mess up your heart, that will mess up your mind and the expression of your heart. So this is the last point is uh, guard your heart against things that uh, mess you up. And here are some of the things. Bitterness. Bitterness. Bitterness is, is someone has hurt you, something has happened, you've been disappointed, 
and you've grieved it. And, you know, there's, there's a legitimate season of time when you're disappointed in something or someone hurts you where you grieve over that. But you come to a point where you have to ask yourself, is, is this going to be my lifelong identity? That failure, I, got, I, I lost that job, I shouldn't have, the other guy got the promotion, he shouldn't have, she shouldn't have, it was mine, I was better than them. Is that what's going to define my life for the next 30, 40, 50 years? Because you come to a point where you either hold on to that and you enter into bitterness or you let go of it and you walk in freedom. And bitterness affects everyone around us. You might think, well, my bitterness, I don't direct it towards my family. I don't direct it towards my kids. But listen, the Bible says that if you have a root of bitterness, it defiles many. Your kids know it. They might not consciously know it, but they're impacted by it. So you've got to give up bitterness. You've just got to let it go. You let, okay, I was wronged there. Hey, we've all been wronged. We, we've, none of us have received everything we should have or been treated rightly in every situation. Some worse than others, I know. But you can let it go. You let it go because you're a new creation in Christ and you have the power to let it go. Other things that can, can envy and jealousy produces discontent and um, it's based on this fairness thinking that everything should be fair. Do you know how fair Jesus was? He had 12 apostles. Did he give them all equal attention? He did not. There were three of them that were this inner circle and so he takes these three into a room and raises a little girl from the dead and they're the only ones that get to see it. Not too long after that, Jesus is going up onto the mountain. He's going to He's going to see Moses and Elijah, and there's going to be the glory of God displayed. And so you'd say, well, okay, Jesus, which three apostles are you going to take now? And Jesus said, Peter, James, and John. Oh, no, you can't do that. You've got to be fair. You've got to be fair, Jesus. Supreme Court says so. <laughs> You've got to be fair. No, there's this whole idea of fairness that is just not right. It, the, the guy that uh, Jesus tells in the parable that hired workers and hired them for a dollar a day, and then some guys come up at the very end of the day, the last hour, and he hires them, and then he pays them all a dollar a day, and the ones that worked all day complain, saying, hey, it's not right, you're paying them the same you paid us. And the labor, the worker, the, the man that hired them just says, hey, we contracted for a dollar a day. I contracted with them for a dollar for an hour. I can do that. It's my money. I can do that with it. So we need to, we need to adjust our thinking of fair because if we, if we look at everything from that perspective, it's going to create envy and jealousy, which becomes bitterness all too soon. Selfish ambition. Uh, the apostles were constantly arguing about who was the greatest. You know, who's the best? Who's the greatest? And we, we all have some desires in our hearts to, to get the credit. You know, to be the one that's acknowledged. And when someone else is acknowledged and we're not, it, it, can, it can, you know, a little, little twinge in the heart there. You've got to deal with that right away. You've got to say, I'm thankful for my brother in Christ who just got that acknowledgement. I'm thankful for my sister in Christ who just received that. I'm thankful that God blessed them and leave it at that. Arrogance and pride shows up in the need to be right and to have others agree that I'm Right? I gotta tell you, with, in being married, we've been married almost 43 years, we don't do this so much anymore. But there was a long time when we'd have an argument and we'd both forget what we were arguing about. 
But the argument then would descend, would degrade into who started the argument. Or more often than not, it would be me wanting her to admit that I was logically right in this. And that's pride. And that messes up our hearts. That, it, it's, it's like, it's an attitude I take into my mind that kind of seeps down into that part of my mind that has some overlap with my heart. And, and I want to get that out. So... Um, Finally, heart wounds. Heart wounds can have a huge impact upon how we look at life. And thankfully, God heals the brokenhearted. That's what the book of Psalms says. So, so these first uh, four, we repent of those. Heart wounds, unless they've led us into bitterness and resentment, then we have to repent of the bitterness and resentment. Even though we've been legitimately wounded, we still have to repent of the bitterness and resentment. But the wound itself is healed by God. The Holy Spirit can touch our hearts and heal those places where there's just still pain that, uh, that uh, is, is still impacting the way we look at life. I'm going to end with this one passage because it's such a beautiful passage. And it talks about the wisdom from above, okay? This is James 3. And from above means heaven. And you have a new heart if you've accepted Jesus. And where'd you get that new heart from? From heaven. From Jesus. It's a Jesus heart. And so it's a heaven heart. And here's what a heaven heart is like. Look at this. He says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then pure, no ulterior motives, peaceable. Yeah, I really want to bless you, and I want, I want to understand you, and I want what's best for us. It's gentle. It's open to reason. I like the New American Standard says reasonable, but open to reason is what it means. It's full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere unwavering without hypocrisy, I think is another translation of that. And then it says this, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So if you want to have a harvest of righteousness, this, this is the type of wisdom that we want to have controlling our hearts and filling our hearts. And the actual truth is, because you have a new heart, that's already there. It's already there. It's not a matter of somehow acquiring it. It's there. What we have to do is get rid of the hindrances so that this can flourish. It's like pulling the weeds out of your garden so the good plants can grow. They're gonna grow because they're healthy and it's good soil. But bitterness, jealousy, a selfish ambition, arrogance and pride and heart wounds, we, we, we re- remove those so that this good fruit can grow in our hearts. And then the tongue's not an issue. I mean, sometimes, because we all get tired and weary, but, but the tongue then flows out of the heart and the tongue speaks words that bless others coming out of a pure heart. I want to pray and then we're going to receive our offering. Father, uh, we, we acknowledge before you how important the words we speak are. Even when we're just talking to ourselves or in our cars alone and think nobody can hear us, our words are so important. And we're thankful, God, for the way you've made us that we can't hide our inner person it comes out eventually, it comes out. And so uh, we, just, we just say to you, Jesus, you've put your heart in us. Show us what areas in our mind need to be healed, belief systems need to be changed, thoughts that need to be repented of. Let, let, us, let us walk in this new sense of wisdom from above, heavenly wisdom which you've already placed in us. And let our tongues and our speech reflect that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're gonna receive our offering before we go into worship. So if you're on the, far, if you're on the left, left 
furthest left side of your row, please grab that basket and pass it down. As you touch that basket, I just want you to say thank you, Jesus, for food, clothing, and shelter, and all of your provision in my life. Because we are thankful for God's goodness and his love for us and his provision every day. He is good. We give because it's all his in the first place. We give out of thankfulness. Uh, We give as well because we want to see his kingdom advanced in the world. So, Father, thank you that we get to give. I pray blessings on just blessings, blessings on every family and every household represented in this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, man. At this point, would you all stand with me? I welcome you to come forward or go to the back or sit in your seat wherever you feel comfortable, but we will worship God this morning. And I'm excited. I just feel like Coming in this morning as I was driving in, I felt like God is just going to bring refreshing to us. Just as we sit here in his presence, as we worship him with all that we are, I feel like he's just going to refresh us. So God, thank you for who you are. We welcome your presence here, Holy Spirit. And we just want to be, we're excited to be here in your presence. God, we worship you. Lord, uh, we want to fight our battles by being surrounded by you, not with our own strength, not with our own words even, but trusting you, just trusting you, trusting you, Lord. 
you know, if anxiety fills your heart, then it's a good time not to speak because anxiety is the result of feeling out of control. And when, when our minds, when we get this right in our minds and it's sync, in sync with our hearts, that it's God who fights our battles. He's the one, we trust him. Then we can speak words of truth without them being words of anger or bitterness or trying to hurt. My sense is that a lot of people here have tender hearts right now. And we want to pray for you. Just pray for God to do everything he wants in your heart because the Lord loves tender hearts. You know that? He loves tender hearts. He loves to speak into them and deposit really good things there. But I think a big word that, that I believe God has for us right now is trust him. Trust him. And when we trust him, then, then we can walk in freedom. And um, particularly... If you have a problem with judging others, um, if there is a sense that you have that you're smarter or wiser than everyone else around you, which we all fall into that. I mean, I have that. I, I, you know, but um, if that's the case, God wants to free you from that. Um, and, and words spoken over you, like you're stupid, you never make anything yourself, you're a loser, you know, why do you even try? It's, it's amazing words that have been spoken to people, especially when they were little kids and some of those words still linger and they still hang on and they're part of that conscious mind, the, the, the lower part of the conscious mind that really mess up the desires of the heart to flow. God wants to release you from that too today. So I'm gonna pray and as I do, I want our prayer teams to make their way down and we wanna pray for you today for any of these issues, uh, for healing, uh, physical healing, Whatever needs healed, come on down. Let us pray, okay? We're going we're gonna to trust God that he's going to do something dramatic right now, today, this morning. Not only in our hearts and our minds, but in our bodies as well. So, Father, uh, we're so thankful that you don't just call us to a godly lifestyle. You put a godly lifestyle in us. You put godly hearts in us through your son, Jesus. And then you give us power the power of the Holy Spirit within us, renewing our minds, and you give us authority and power to cooperate with what he wants to do. And so I do pray for a freedom from fear, the fear that causes us to be filled with anxiety and to lash out, freedom from that. And if that's an issue for you right now, just say, I receive that and it'll be yours. I I pray, Father, for freedom to trust you more with every aspect of life and of our lives. And Father, for wounds, words that have been spoken that were painful and hurtful and they still linger, we just break those off right now in Jesus' name. I break off words that were spoken that you're a loser, that you're no good, that you'll never amount to anything, you're just like your mother, you're just like your father, whatever it might be, I break that off of you right now And Holy Spirit, flood in and bring healing to the wounds in the hearts and other wounds through people who've been attacked, uh, physically attacked. We, We pray for healing for those wounds as well, Lord, right now. Holy Spirit, just flood in and bring a new level of healing in those hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, hey, great to see you and uh, come up for prayer and we'll look forward to seeing you next week, okay? Thanks for coming.